Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in again today to the Portable Pastor Podcast. This is Mike Stafford at First Baptist Church in Clover, bringing you another message of hope uh, today. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and we'll begin with verse 1 shortly. Let me just say that some of us already today are depressed. I know that. Some of you are depressed because the Christmas season is over. And some of you are depressed because you've already broken your New Year's Eve, (laughs) New Year's resolutions. Look, if you resolve to lose a bunch of weight very quickly, go to the gym twice a day, uh, think more positively when watching the news, or or to, to get along better with an obstinate neighbor, and you've already blown it, welcome to the world. Just welcome to the world. You got to shake that off. Ask for forgiveness if you need to and start living again. Look, just take that neighbor to Krispy Kreme and enjoy life in the new year. All right, today I want to focus on the the message of John the Baptist that was given in the desert. People were were coming to him out in the middle of nowhere to to see something or to, to hear something new and different. But this was really nothing new. It's always been human nature to see and do something different, to want something different, especially for the uh, perceived betterment of our own lives. Oftentimes, when, when we've arrived at the place to which our hopes have driven us to, we find something else, something unexpected, something better, such is the case for those who went out to see John the Baptist. They wanted something new, see something unusual, and instead of that, they got something better than they could have ever imagined. Read along with me in or listen in, in verses 1 through 4. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. All right, so so this is John. He's called John the Baptist, not because he's affiliated with a, a Baptist denomination, but because he baptized, and he baptized Jesus, so they called him John the Baptist. There, there are some Baptists today who claim that there's always been a Baptist denomination in existence, even since since John began baptizing. But And they call this the trail of blood theory. I heard about this in seminary. It was only discussed just a little bit because it's been debunked. I mean, the Baptist denomination would not even come on the scene until, what, the 16th century or so. So God instituted the ordinance of baptism, though, through the ministry of John. Now, we'll talk more about the ordinance of baptism in the next few weeks. Today, I want to focus on John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was one who who God chose to use to get the Jews ready for the ministry of Jesus. Matthew Matthew doesn't say a whole lot about the background of John the Baptist. For that information, you have to go to Luke's gospel. In Luke's account, we learn of a a special calling on John even before he was conceived. 
An angel had met with John's dad, Zechariah, in the temple while he was performing his duties. And and Zechariah was, of course, scared like everyone else when the angel showed up in, in all of the chapters of Matthew preceding this. He was scared and the angel told him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and to and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So so Luke tells us that that John will prepare the way for the Lord to come and preach the gospel. Now John will be filled with the the spirit and carry out his ministry by baptizing and proclaiming the coming Messiah. Luke also tells us that John and Jesus were about the same age. Mary's cousin Elizabeth was she was already 6 months pregnant into her pregnancy when Mary came Uh, with her being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And there was this special bond, even in the womb, between John and Jesus. When Mary went to see her cousin Elizabeth, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. That's what the scripture says. It seems even in the womb, John was connected and excited about Jesus. I want you to know that John the Baptist was mentioned um, in the Old Testament prophecy, not by name, but by what he did. Isaiah 43 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is exactly what John did. Malachi 3 1 tells us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And this is what John did too. So John was John was a herald. I know we sing about heralds, you know, the angels, and a herald is someone who announces the coming of another. Hark the herald angels sing does not mean there was an angel named Harold, as some kids seem to think. That verse means that the angels were heralding or announcing the coming of the Messiah. John announced the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And his chosen method to accomplish this heralding was to say, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John was commissioned by God to preach this message. Even way back in the Old Testament, God said there was going to be this one that would come and do this. Now, in Luke chapter uh, 3, we read that during the the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was out in the desert preaching. Why? Because he was called to preach. So John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that word repent in the original language is metanaeo. It means it means to change one's mind, specifically the attitudes and the thoughts concerning sin. There's a there's an expectation in the original meaning of the word that the person who repents will will morally reconsider before ever committing that sin again. All behaviors in that, in that category of behaviors would line up with the demands of God for righteous living from that point forward. Repentance involves a, 
a radical mental and even physical change. Christians today, we've sort of cheapened the the concept of repentance because we will repent and then turn right back again into that sin so that repentance wasn't real at, at all. Repentance comes from a, from a godly sorrow about personal sin. I mean, listen to 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads us that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I read one commentary that said, True repentance cannot occur apart from such a genuine sorrow over one's sin. Repentance is at least the very heart of and proves one's salvation. Unbelievers repent of their sin initially when they are saved, and then as believers repent of their sins continually to keep the joy and the blessing of their relationship to God. So repentance comes from sorrow, and, and, and that never goes out of style. It's a part of, of the sanctification process in which we are continually improving to become better, more and more like Christ. And that godly sorrow is produced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us that. We call it conviction. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 tells us, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to preach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, and God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So the the Holy Spirit convicts us or initiates sorrow about our sin. And that sorrow pushes us to turn from that sin in order to live right and even escape the, the discipline of God. Now, John says, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is a is a common phrase in in Matthew. All all the other Gospels refer to it as the kingdom of God, which is why I keep getting this mixed up. The word heaven was chosen specifically to engage Jewish readers. The Gospel of Matthew was written for the Jews. So the kingdom of heaven is a euphemism that drew out a desire among the Jews because they, they wanted God to set up His eternal kingdom right then. But both expressions, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, are used to, to denote God's future plan to, to lead and to rule over His people. Now, right now, God does, God does that in our hearts. He rules and directs in our hearts. But one day, the kingdom will be literal. So, in essence, what John the Baptist is saying is that his listeners, the Jews, and now us, should turn from their sin towards God who desires to rule over their lives and will eventually rule over the entire earth. So John was a a forerunner preparing the way for this message to be proclaimed in order that that Christ would rule over the hearts of men. Now, I I need to mention the obvious elephant in the room, okay? John was in the desert and he was... He was just kind of weird, all right? He was weird. Here's why I say this. First, he lived and conducted his ministry in the wilderness. This area they were talking about was miles from where people lived. Why would he not be in town where people lived? I read an article by Chad Bird online, and he says this. It's a little lengthy, but it's really good. I want you to listen. John the Baptist is unrelenting. 
I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John beckons you away from that place called civilization where civilized sinners are too easily duped by the demons into believing the lie. Leave that place where you're easily tricked into believing that your job is your life and your family is your life and your possessions are your life. Leave that place where trivial pursuit is not just a game, but a way of life. Leave that place where death masquerades as life, where the person who is living it up has made pleasure into God, where the person who is who is said to have a full life may never, those people may never be baptized where real life has nothing to do with Christ, but but getting into a, a dog-eat-dog world. Leave that place where people think they have civilized sin, but where, in fact, sin has transformed them into the savages at heart. I think this is why John the Baptist was in the wilderness. He was away from the things that people were trapped by, and he found success in ministry by getting people to leave the the comfort and the trappings of their everyday lives in order for them to see the error of their choices and hopefully repent. Then he he baptized them as a sign or or the evidence of their repentance. Now, this baptism is not the baptism of salvation. It's not the evidence of salvation. That wouldn't happen till later. We will discuss that too in weeks to come. This was simply a public announcement or showing that men and women were giving, you know, giving up their 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 uh, their sin. They they were they were giving to let others know that that they were committing to live rightly, and and, and they were they were forsaking their sin. So he baptized them to make it a public profession of that, and it took place in the desert. In the desert, this this was a weird way to do this. Secondly. John wore some some weird clothes. All right, the brother lived in the desert. He he lived and ate and dressed like a like a deranged gypsy. I mean, John wore wore a garment of of camel's hair, and he put a, a leather belt around his waist to hold that together. And his food his food was locusts and wild honey. Yuck! Why why was why was John such a hippie? And there, there's actually, you're not going to believe this. There's been a lot of discussion about this. You know, why would he, why would he do this? Well, I say it's it's prophecy. It's prophecy that he do this. But some would say it was it was to keep John humble. There's a a theology out there called poverty theology, and it states that that only in total poverty can one really place all their dependencies on God and and be used by Him. And that thinking is grounded on this passage, on the life of, of John the Baptist, as well as others, like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had had been told by Jesus to sell all he had and give the money to the poor because his wealth was his God. You know, and 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 poverty theology is based on on those verses. But we're told by Paul that the love of money is the root of evil. The love of money. Money isn't evil. It's not good or evil. It's simply a resource. What we do with it dictates its moral value. I want you to know that poverty theology is a man-made theology perpetrated by early churches so that they would not have to pay the preacher what he was worth. It was selfishness. Poverty theology is not based on what God wants at all. So don't think that John is doing this to show us or to teach us that to be used by God, we have to have absolutely nothing. 
I mean, think about it. John was disconnected. He was he was dirty, poorly dressed. He ate nasty stuff, and and for other reasons than just staying humble, just staying humble, and other reasons than just desperate for God to act in his life. I think God God made John the Baptist dress this way and eat this way to create the 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 connection, the cognitive connection to a former well-respected man of God. God had him dressed this way to connect him to a very famous prophet in the Old Testament. And in fact, in that very first prophecy that we read, that man is named. But in 1 Kings 1.8, it tells us that Elijah, <clears throat> the prophet Elijah, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. Matthew wants us to know that John wants us to know that he was called by God just like Elijah the prophet. God also had a plan to show us that he can use unconventional people to challenge the conventional attitudes of sinful man. So John's task was that serious, and he carried it out like Elijah did with that earthy, uh, confrontative uh, style. That That is why he was so weird, and he was unconventional to say the least. Uh, he he dressed like this because he was not interested in what the world had to offer him near as much as what God had to offer him. He had a serious ministry. He called people out there. He, he was no prince in a palace. He didn't, didn't eat like he'd arrived at some elevated social status in his life. He ate locust and honey. That locust, by the way, is one of the insects that God approved of eating back in the Old Testament. So that actually drew some folks to a, another avenue to what God wanted them to do. Now, don't don't read into it. That doesn't mean that's all he ate. It just means at that time, those are the things that he ate. So John was identified as one who was, you know, called by God, like the prophet Isaiah, and, and one who was unconventional from what others might expect a man of God to look like and act like, but he was used by God to make wide the road to the coming of Christ. He, he was the forerunner of, of Christ. Now that's as far as I plan to go today in Matthew, but I don't want to leave you, uh, I don't want to leave you without some very important application. There's some things in here that we must apply to our lives. First, you know, God would have you to identify with John the Baptist. And you say, I can't identify with that guy. He's just out there. Well, you can. You need to identify with John the Baptist. Not, not necessarily to be Baptist, although we do have a, a simple and true way of interpreting the Bible and carrying out the will of God. But, but identify with John. There, there are some things about him that are, that are meant to be in you. First, the, the presence of God should make you excited. When was the last time you got chills and jumped uh, simply walking into his presence? Sometimes this happens to us in worship. You can feel it. Sometimes when you hear that powerful song and it brings tears to your eyes in your car. Sometimes when you're all alone and God reveals an awesome truth in his word, your spirit will, will jump. Maybe you even get chills at the closeness that you feel with God. Now, we felt this way last month when we, we received our first choice of Christmas gift, right? You asked for it, you waited for it, you hoped you got it, and when you finally got it, you were so excited. Well, when was the last time you got excited about being near Jesus? Look, another way we can identify with John is to realize that, that we are called by God. You are called by God. 
You were summoned by him who knew before the foundation of the world that he wanted to have a relationship with you. The Bible says it this way in Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You, You were called by God to come near to him. He also called you for good works of righteousness, unlike the, con- the, the conventional acts of this world. Okay, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like John, you are called to do something special. And it's going to look like, it's going to look different than the world. And like John, you are placed by God, specifically where He wants you. It may seem like you're in a in a desert or at least in the middle of a barren, useless job or school or town. And you, you've got to realize, you must realize that God has intentionally placed you where he can, he can be used by you the most. Look, Thomas came home last month. David and Donna were here staying with us this week. And I have to confess, I, I'm, I'm always honest with you, hearing their stories of how God's using them, I... I, I grew so envious that I, I was I was out of sorts for a few days, and, and that was wrong. I know that if I were to, to force my way into their called lifestyle, in their places, in their way of doing ministry, God wouldn't use me like He's using them. That's their calling, and this is mine. And, and I am not free to choose where and how I'm going to serve God. I am His servant, so I grow where I'm planted. And it may be that you're in the the darkest, driest, most unappealing place imaginable. Understand that God has placed you there in order to be a light and a joy for a, a group of people or maybe even for a person that would not experience it otherwise. Grow where you are planted and realize, like John, sometimes you're just going to be weird. You will be seen and labeled weird. You're not going to live like the world. You're, you're, you're going to live differently than the rest of the rest of the world. You got to get used to it. Where the world eats and drinks sinful lust from the vending machines of the TV and the internet, you're going to eat up the truth of God's word. Where the rest of the world is paying huge mortgages for their own temporary kingdom, you're content with what you have and you operate with an eternal-minded focus. You would rather spend money on a mission trip than a a Barbie dream house that's eventually going to break or it's going to get boring after a while. You may not wear the latest fashion. You may not eat the most expensive foods, but you have what you need to complete your God-given task that you were called to. And you need to be okay with that. The world will see that as weird. They say you got to have more. You got to have bigger. You got to, you got to go grab it. Well, we see as a life of contentment and and a life of growing where we're planted that that God can use us, and that is honoring to God. And in that way, we need to identify with John. Well, don't, don't stop with simply identifying with him. Listen to his message. Make the applications of his preaching evident in your life. You should repent and align with God's plans. Look, if you say that you don't sin, look, you, the Bible says you're a liar, okay? We still sin. 
We have to ask God to give us godly sorrow for the sins in our lives. Ask Him to point them out and bring them to the front of your thinking and let God deal with them. Turn from them and try to never be persuaded by those sins again. God has a place and a plan for you, but I'm going to tell you, unrepentant sin can cause that plan to never come to fruition. The Christian, now listen, you got to hear this, the Christian who insists on keeping that special sin, that favored sin in his life, will die in that sin. He will die in that sin and miss out on the blessings of God in his life. So listen to his message, repent and align yourself with God's plan for you. And then finally, listen to his message, the kingdom is here. I mean, Jesus came and he left and he sent his spirit to seal you for the day of redemption to help you through this life. He is currently building his kingdom in you. God builds his kingdom one person at a time, and he rules over their lives. He rules over the lives of millions of his blessed servants. They, they are joyful, and they are, they are blessed in, in that situation. He, he's renovating his kingdom every day by transforming those lives of men and women to become exactly what they should be. And one day, he will set up his physical kingdom on this earth. Are you ready for that? or at least getting ready. Like like John, make this message known. Make this message known in the part of the world where he has placed you. Like him, you can make wide the path of the Lord. Let nothing be in front of those folks that would keep them from Christ. Make wide that path. Help them make their that path straight. Point them right to Christ. Be a voice in the wilderness. You can do this. You are called to do this. You are empowered to do this by His Holy Spirit. So live this way. We've learned a lot from just these first five or six verses in Matthew. We're going to learn more starting next week. We're going to look at baptism for a few weeks, and it's going to be a, an interesting study. Come back and, and pick those things up too. Look, if I, if I can answer any questions or help you, just email me at mike at fbcclover.com. I hope you have a, a, a great New Year's week. And I hope you're able to keep some of your resolutions, but don't push it too hard. Just enjoy your life. As always, be blessed. Have a great week. And remember, God is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.